So as we've been talking, uh, today is, is Palm Sunday, when churches all across the world are celebrating uh, the reality that Jesus came into Jerusalem, and people were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, giving him a king's welcome into Jerusalem. But also a lot of churches are also celebrating today as Passion Sunday, realizing that uh, things have changed and, and probably won't see people again until next Sunday, or many of you until next Sunday. So taking this Sunday to talk about what Jesus did on the cross. I've been reading John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 18 and through 19, which is the part where Jesus is betrayed and arrested and then put on trial and, um, and then ultimately crucified. And I've been listening and, you know, I've, throughout my study of the Word of God, especially the crucifixion, there have been over 2,000 years Christians have seen various themes, various ways to understand the cross. And the... Uh, they have these different things, these different ideas. So one is that the cross is about God's love. Some talk about the cross as an example of what it means to sacrifice ourselves uh, for the sake of others. Some talk about it as Christ having victory, uh, Jesus the victor over death and sin. Some have talked about Jesus on the cross as a new Adam, finally fixing everything that the old Adam, uh, that all of humanity had done wrong. Also talking about Jesus uh, as Savior. And Jesus is king. This Sunday, this, this last week, I've been reading John's Gospel, and I wanted to focus in on two of them. Jesus as king, and Jesus as savior. So listen to these words again. This comes from John's Gospel, John chapter 19, verse 16 to 30. It's on this sheet, if you want to look, but also in your, in your Bibles, that would be even better. But listen to uh, the Gospel of John. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, where they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answers, what, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, Jesus Jesus said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, he said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So there's tons of things happening here at this cross. In over 2,000 years, faithful Christians have seen all these elements. 
But like we said, this morning we're going to focus in on two. One as Savior and one as King. Now it's important for us to realize, and we're going to start first with Jesus as Savior. That's the one that most of us are familiar with or have heard of before that, that particular part of it. That Jesus is a Savior. And the truth is, we need a Savior. You know, I know we live in a time where we don't like to talk about sin or what people do wrong. And, I mean, as I talk with people around in our community, the kind of the general consensus is that, you know, if I'm, just a, if I'm a good person, if I'm a nice person, then everything will work out. Then everything will be fine and I'll go to heaven. And it's almost, and I think what people mean, like, this is kind of a relatively nice person. You know, like, I, I, I pay my taxes. I haven't committed any felonies in the last 15 years. I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, compared to my neighbors, I'm, I'm a lot like them. I'm nice. I do things nice. And I'm realizing, too, that, um, that people say things like that, and they say, like, I'm, I mean, I'm a good guy. I'm a good, I'm a good person. Doesn't that enough for God? And I started thinking about, you know, myself a little bit in this. And I think about, you know, when I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to be, you know, supposed to be perfect. I'm not, trust me. You can ask Tracy. I'm not. Um, and, but I do try to be a good person. Like lots of our neighbors who, who see Jesus differently than us. I try to be a good person. I mean, I'm by no means the nicest person you know. But I try to be good. I try to do the right thing when it's hard. I try to help people even when it help, or even when it hurts me. I try to be a good person. But the truth is, there is this dark, dirty side of me. I mean, you can ask Tracy. She sees it. She sees those times when I am selfish. <laughs> when her laying in bed and one of our kids starts crying and I just roll over <laughs> and she goes and helps them. She sees when I'm selfish and that's when we can joke about and laugh but there's others. She sees when I'm petty. When I'm just small. When I have a chance to do something good and right and I don't. She sees me when, uh, when I am greedy she sees me when I cut corners. She sees me when I lose my temper, even at those cute little kids I have. You know, I try to be a good person, but I'm not wholly on my own. I haven't deserved even close to deserving a place with God on my own. I don't know, have any of you ever had any of these experiences? You know, like you try to be good and yet you mess up? Has anybody had that? I see everybody shaking their heads like, no, we, what are you talking about, Jason? We, we just do this. <clears throat> right. You know, I think and that's something, too, that we live in a time now where we have, like, the culture around us is, is proud. And we hate to admit that we do things wrong. In fact, we try to tell ourselves, you know, I'm actually a really good person. I'm really good. I'm, I, you know, I, I don't really need Jesus and all of that. I'm, I'm a good person, so everything's okay. But that's not how I hear God speaking. You know, God loves us, but also God is holy. And God is just. And, and God and sin, they just don't go together. Not only does God not allow it, but God can't allow it because of who he is. 
There is no sin in God. There's no little wickedness in God. There's just justice and mercy and holiness. You see, God is holy, but, but we, we are not. And I, I was talking about it earlier, and I have this picture of water. Like, kind of like our lives. You know, like it's like God is pure. There's nothing in him. And then we think, you know, I'm okay though. I mean, it's just, it's just one little thing. It's just, it's just a little, just one little thing. Okay, maybe two. Okay, maybe three or four little things. They're not, they're not that bad. And we start thinking, you know, why can't God just get over that? If God is pure, why can't he just kind of wink his eye and turn the other way? Why is God so, so concerned about holiness and purity? Why does God care about that? One, it's because of who he is. But two, it's partly because of his justice. God is a just God. <clears throat> and when you think about justice, like when it's, when it's on, in, in terms of us, we want God to be lenient and merciful. But when somebody does something wrong to us, then we want God's justice, right? When we do something wrong, we say, Lord, please just overlook it. Just Our people around us, they think, you know, why can't God just overlook it? And yet when somebody steals their car, then they want God to be just, right? They want God's wrath. See, the thing is, even in our best, there's still blood in the water. Or red food coloring. Just the tiniest little things make us unholy. The things, that, those deep secrets that we have, those things that we've done that we regret, that we hate, those times when they sneak up in our lives when we're not ready. We need help. I can't take the red out of the water on my own. No amount of donations or, or no amount of rules I could follow, no amount of good things I could do will take the red out of the water. I need God's help. We need God's help. We need God's help to do this. So today as we talk about the cross and what Jesus did, it's important for us to talk about the reality that Jesus is Savior, that he has done this. That God the Father sent God the Son to come into this world, to take on flesh and to live among us, not only to teach us how to live, but then to gather sin all together in one place on his body and then hang on a cross substituting himself for us and then sacrificing everything to save us. Jesus is our Savior. He's the one who saved us. In John's Gospel, when Jesus comes to be baptized, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This Savior runs throughout John's Gospel. And we see it on the cross most profoundly what Savior looks like. This God who came, who took on flesh to save us. To take all the sin, all the red out of the water, all the things that separated us from God, to take them and, and move them all away. So we now have this amazing opportunity to have a relationship with God, the Lord who created everything, the world around us, everything. Everything. Jesus did this on the cross. 
He is Savior on the cross. Now, that, in and of itself, just that Savior would be an amazing place to stop this morning. But as I've been reading John's Gospel, I'm realizing even more that there are more, there's more to it. That John is wanting us to see that Jesus not only is Savior, but also as King on the cross. Now, it's great for us <coughs> seeing Jesus as Savior <coughs> changes our lives. It is amazing news and it is central to who we are as followers of Jesus, the salvation that Jesus is saving. This is central and it's glorious. But there's also more. You see, on the cross, Jesus, who is king, was exalted as king. Jesus came on the cross to redeem us, to make us a part of his kingdom and to bring his kingdom to earth. It's interesting, as I've been reading this passage, I was listening to uh, uh, D.A. Carson who's a New Testament professor. Um, and he was talking about John 18 to 19, from the time Jesus is arrested until the time he's crucified, <clears throat> there is this running theme of, is Jesus king or not? Go home and read it this afternoon, John 18 to 19, and see. Watch who's debating. You know, the, the Jewish leaders are there saying, he's not our king, and Pilate's saying, but he says he's your king. And then he asked Jesus, who is king? And Are you a king? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm a king. He even writes king on Jesus on the cross, saying, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. It's interesting because though the theme of salvation, of savior is there, there's actually, at least as far as I was reading, there's only one place there's even sort of an explicit hint to it. When Caiaphas says it's good for one person to die for all the people. But other than that, there's not much talk of Savior. There is one little thing, if you know about it, that, that Jesus was, um, he was crucified. In John's Gospel, he says he was crucified on the day of preparation, the day when all the lambs were sacrificed for the Passover. You make that connection that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So it's definitely here, the fact that Jesus is Savior. But even more, in this particular, in John's Gospel, he wants us to see that Jesus is God's King who has been lifted up. <clears throat> if you look at this, if you look at your uh, Bibles, that would be better, but also too on the sheet here, at verse 24, right in the middle, it says, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. It says that in the passage, it says that he fulfilled Scripture. That saying this, Jesus fulfilled the scriptures. Now, you can see here on the, on the screen that this passage, that this, this dividing his garments, if you remember when I just read, they were casting lots for his tunic and they divided everything else among them. This fulfills Psalm 22, verse 18. Actually, John, it's a direct quote from Psalm 22 in the Greek version. Now, this is just one, but actually, as you read through Psalm 22, you'll hear, you'll see all these connections with the cross and Jesus' crucifixion. One of the most famous is when Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. 
Jesus cried this out on the cross. It's the first verse of Psalm 22. That's how this psalm begins. It's how Matthew, it's the, Matthew tells us that that's what Jesus says on the cross. Mark tells us that's what Jesus says on the cross. This psalm is central, or is, is a guiding understanding. From the very beginning, Christians saw Psalm 22 and heard and recognized Jesus' crucifixion in it. But here's the interesting thing, or the thing that I found extremely interesting, is how that psalm ends. It goes through all of us, and at the end it says, and so all the ends of the earth, they will remember and turn to the Lord. The families, all the families of the nations, they will bow before him. Dominion, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he is ruler over the nations. All the rich of the earth, they will feast and they will worship. But those who go down to the dust, like that's the Hebrew way of saying those who die, they will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. All the generations, future generations, will be told of the Lord. They will proclaim the righteousness of God to people yet unborn, for he has done it. Psalm 22, at the end, it culminates with Jesus as king, or with God as king. And we recognize this connection that Jesus is king on this cross. It's important that we see Jesus as Savior. It's vital to our faith. It's central to our faith. And we see Jesus as Savior, and it reminds us that we have hope in eternity. But when we hear and we remember that Jesus is King, it reminds us that eternity begins the moment we begin believing into him. Eternity begins in us already. Right now is important as well. If Jesus is King who has brought his kingdom, and we are his children, then we are saved, but we are also saved to cultivate his kingdom now. Jesus came to save the world, but he also came to establish his kingdom on earth. I was listening to, to John this, this, this last week, reading John's gospel and reading through it again and again and hearing. And I'm realizing like, we need to talk about this one because this is John's point. This is what John is trying to help us see. But also because when we have Savior and King together, it shapes not only our hope, for when we die that we will go to heaven, that we are saved now, but also shapes the way we live right now as part of Jesus' kingdom. So for me, as I hear that Jesus is Savior, the more I realize that he is the Savior who sacrificed everything for me, the more I want to follow him. But also the more that I realize that Jesus is King, the more I want to join in what he's doing in the community around us to join in and cultivate his kingdom alongside him. It's important to hold these two together, Savior and King. They shape not only our hope for the future, but the way we live right now. Jesus is King and Savior. Yeah. Well, I would ask that you do one thing this week. That you keep reflecting on this question, Lord, what does this do across me in my life? And then give him thanks. Sorry, that's two things, isn't it? Reflect on what this cross means for us, on what Jesus 
his death and his resurrection, what they mean for us, and give him thanks. And I know, like, I know you're going to be really tempted to just, like, go back on tomorrow and jump back into your busy schedule. And, and I know you guys are at work and things you're involved in. But I'm asking, please, this week, to just set aside some times to just give thanks to God. Just a few times to say thank you, God, for what you've done for us. And then, like, throughout the day, if it just comes to you, like, just say thanks, even if it's just spontaneous, even if it's just, you know, kind of under your breath. Lord, thank you. Do that this week. Spend time thinking about what Jesus has done for us on the cross and give him thanks.